Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review Daniel Ricciardo's stunning Chinese Grand Prix win and ask what's gone wrong for Mercedes. Daniel Ricciardo doesn't win many Grand Prix, but when he does, they tend to be spectacular, and his sixth win in the Chinese Grand Prix was no exception. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me in our 11th floor studio in Jading, not far from the circuit, just outside the middle of Shanghai, is Scott Mitchell. Scott, what a race that was. Formula One boring. Very boring, isn't it? Um, I I don't want to say exactly what I said a week ago when we reviewed Bahrain, but it is amazing, isn't it? I mean, we get to tracks where you can overtake a little bit more and suddenly F1 cars start to overtake. Uh, obviously, this one was was helped massively by um, the two Toro Rosso drivers making a massive meal out of swapping places and causing a safety car, but the race was already ebbing towards a sort of reasonable enough conclusion strategically, so... It was a, it was a good good Grand Prix. We sort of left our top secret location in Jiding in good spirits before the race, didn't we? And I think, um, but I think we were still surprised by just how good it turned out to be. 
Well, exactly. How many times do you have these really intriguing setups for races that don't quite deliver or something goes wrong? In Bahrain, we had a great setup, but two of the Red Bulls are out of the running straight away. It was still an intriguing race, but we never had this this three-way battle. And what we had here was a race in which Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, at various stages of the race, they all had control, they all had command, but it was Daniel Ricciardo and Red Bull emerged as winners. There's all sorts of places we can really start on this, but I think I think we have to start with Daniel Ricciardo. The thing about him is when he does win, when he gets a sniff of victory, he's absolutely fantastic at executing these strategies. He was six on the road. Tire advantage, great. Yeah, there are places to pass at this circuit, but even so, he had to do it. And in nine laps, he went from six to first and then disappeared into the distance to register this win. You know, that that's a very, very good piece of execution that I think made what he did look a lot easier than it actually was. It does Ricardo an enormous disservice to lean too heavily on the fact that he had a, a had such a tyre advantage because, as you say, the ex- execution is absolutely crucial to it. He acknowledged that himself, said that it's all well and good having that advantage, but if you don't act quickly when you catch up these slightly slower cars, get into their dirty air, then, then you end up sort of you just end up compromising your race. You start running to their pace and, and, and you lose that that new tyre effect. But he was just he's just marvellous in how he, he identifies an overtaking opportunity and just goes for it. The the eventual pass to get ahead of Bottas was just... I mean, I thought you were going to jump off your seat in the media centre when, when that happened. It was incredible. And he said he'd basically, in his mind, he telegraphed it from the corner before. He was like, right, I'm going down the inside. And he was like, oh, I'm already committed, I'm doing it, but he Bottas is defended and Ricardo is just brilliant, just rolls off the brakes, lets, gets enough down the inside to sort of make it happen. It's just absolutely stunning. It capped, it, it was the perfect way to cap a really interesting race. It's all well and good when you have that that variety you were talking about, the three teams in, in charge at, at different different phases, but... Ricardo himself said it was much sweeter for him nailing Bottas with a wheel-to-wheel pass than it was if he'd blasted past using DRS down the back straight. And I think I can speak for everybody when we say that it made the race even better watching it on television. No, it's fantastic. And that, that pass was really well judged. It was on board in the live feed, which is why oh, as soon as he hit, he was on the brakes, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be close. But he's very, very, very good at judging the grip he's got available to himself under braking. Now, Clearly, he had, he did have a tyre advantage. He did have a braking grip advantage, and he knew that. But that ability to commit and judge things perfectly, not just once, but a total of... There were four passes he had to make to win that race because Verstappen handily eliminated himself with that slightly over-optimistic move around the outside of Hamilton. I'm sure we'll get on to Verstappen later. But to be able to judge that and to know and to not hesitate, but at the same time as not hesitating, not to uh, pick the wrong moment, is, is incredibly difficult. And, and he's done this before. Remember, Canada, his first win in 2014, he, he had to make some late passes to do it. Uh, later that year in, in Hungary, it was, it was the same situation. So this is a guy who's really, really, really strong at doing that. We asked after the Bahrain Grand Prix whether another driver would have been able to make the pass on Sebastian Vettel for the lead on the last lap that Valtteri Bottas didn't make. Ricardo was one of the ones who he thought, well, maybe he would have done. Ricardo himself said on Thursday in China that, yeah, he'd have definitely had a go. And I think just that ability to execute and to judge correctly is really, really, really positive for Ricardo. He sees those opportunities and it's very often him who takes it. That that race did not fall into his hands. He had to earn it. 
No, he made he made the race what it was, and you're you're right. He did earn the victory. F1 is a much better place when Ricardo has a competitive car and can fight at the front. He's one of these guys who who just makes something happen, like sort of like Verstappen, except Ricardo tends to make less of a meal of it than than Max Max is doing this year. But it's it's like we we said during the race, didn't we, that when when Kimi was put out on uh, a really long first stint and then switched to to the to the medium tires what's he going to do what ferrari have set kimmy up to do exactly what kimmy raikkonen loves to do at the moment which is actually drive quite quickly at times during a grand prix but never actually overtake anyone he's got himself this reputation in modern f1 now where he he just doesn't doesn't make something happen for himself ricardo is the complete opposite he's so exciting especially when he's got the bit between his teeth you mentioned the comment he made about if he was Bottas, he would have given it a go at the very least against Vettel in Bahrain. He was in such a feisty mood on Thursday. And then the weekend sort of gradually seemed to be getting away from him with the Renault Turbo failure on, on, on the Saturday, almost missing qualifying. And he was presented with this opportunity and making the most of his opportunity almost undersells it to me. It was that spectacular, his fight back through the field. And you said we're going to get on to Verstappen in more detail in a bit, but if ever you needed an example of just how hard it was for Ricardo to do what he did, look at what happened when a, a lesser driver in those circumstances, in Verstappen, tried to do the same on, on the same drivers. Ricardo had to pass the same drivers as Verstappen. Verstappen got it wrong, Ricardo didn't. And this goes back to what I was saying, is it makes it, it makes it sound so easy just to say, oh, it wasn't as easy as it looks, because it really, really was a drive and a win that Ricardo earned. And this is why I'm so keen to see Daniel Ricardo in a world championship winning car, potentially, because he's a really classy driver. He's very, very quick. Okay, he may not have that last fraction that Max Verstappen's capable of accessing, but his all-round game makes him a formidable competitor. You know, people can say, well, he's only won six Grand Prix. Well, well, yes, he's had the third or fourth best car since moving to Red Bull, for the most part. And he's the one who's generally seized opportunities when he has done. And remember, he should have won the Monaco Grand Prix, but for a, a pit stop error that allowed Hamilton to, to jump him. So, you know, he, he is a very, very classy driver with, who who needs to have that, that world championship shot. And it'd be fascinating to see how that ability to seize an opportunity in a one-off race that he's shown extends over a season how he responds to the pressure whether he can consistently in those big pressure points do exactly what he needs to do and make those really bold passes when he needs to without making any mistakes because if he can translate that to a, a full season in a car that allows him to actually have that that stage it'll be a great test and it'd be fantastic if he could do it. he can show himself to be a real a real championship caliber driver he's the best overtaker in f1 isn't he at the moment, yeah, you have to say he is because consistently he does these really on-the-line moves. Like Bottas, that pass, you can look at it and say, well, you know, Bottas had to sort of give him a little bit of space there. But but Ricardo was insistent. He saw the chance. He said, right, I am steaming through. And he keeps doing this. He's had a few slight scrapes with people, but you don't often see him careering into the side of people, which is what we started to see a little bit from uh, Max Verstappen recently. Do we? So, yeah, he judges it absolutely beautifully and when the stakes are at their highest he is at his best he was uh, he was really really insightful on thursday actually because uh, i i had the pleasure of being at his media session on thursday when he was being a bit cheeky and being being really honest passing passing comment on bottas's sort of underwhelmingness in ricardo's view in bahrain talking about max's bad move uh, bad misjudgment against hamilton um he i say he was really feisty 
but he was also he was also backing up with a lot of sense. So I asked him, sort of comparing his situation to Bottas's. So when Ricardo was initially at Toro Rosso at the, and well HRT in Toro Rosso at the start of his career, and then moved to Red Bull, how easy it was for him to sort of adjust that mindset. So when you go from oh an overtake being worth an eleventh or a twelfth, and if you misjudge it, okay, ruin your it could ruin your Grand Prix and your rival's Grand Prix. But is there really anything more at stake than that? Probably not. To going into a Red Bull situation where those misjudgments are the difference between you winning your first Grand Prix or taking a very rare win. And he said, back in the early his early days in Formula One, he was he was timid. He I think he said that maybe he was guilty of putting F1 on a pedestal a bit too much, and he got a little bit overawed in battle sometimes but as soon as he stepped up to Red Bull he recognised that was his chance in Formula 1 his chance to carve out the reputation he wanted his chance to make everybody aware of just what this guy has in his locker and fair play to him since he took his first Grand Prix win Ricardo has never once looked like a driver who's not going to deliver on something he sets out to achieve that's exactly it and that's what we see in races where he just doesn't generally get stuck behind people but he it's been interesting just to sort of see that progression he's had. He came into F1, he always had pace. I always remember the, the, the 2012 Japanese Grand Prix was quite an important one for him because he was running 10th and Michael Schumacher in the Mercedes was on fresh rubber and he's coming through and Schumacher had already made a couple of passes going down into turn two where you, you do that, that threaten them into turn one, get the driver to defend a little bit in the fast right kink in turn one and that carries them wide for the entry to two and opens up the door. And he got to Ricardo and Ricardo was absolutely onto what was happening here. And I remember in that race watching that and thinking, yeah, this guy's really starting to learn. It's been interesting to see that those steps of that progression and that's why I'm, I'm so keen to see him have that chance to take that last step. Well, we know obviously when he was with Vettel at Red Bull in that he's he's a guy who's not phased by the big occasion and he's capable of doing it up against the very best. So now he's okay. There have been times where Verstappen's been shading him for pace, and uh, you know you know better than I do of, of how long that's been going on for and how the dynamic in in that relationship is going. But this is a guy who's ne- who's not been not been blown away at any point, uh, regardless of which supposed prodigy he's up against. So actually really just waiting for that Red Bull Renault alliance to give us something that they had in that sort of Vettel era from 2010 to 2013 and just see what Ricardo can do when he's got that opportunity because it would just be absolutely explosive and exactly what F1 needs. Exactly well he's good news for Formula One and and he's a big personality a big character I think will bring massive massive benefits to the sport if he's up there in the in the championship fight. There's loads of different topic directions we can go in but I think Verstappen's probably the logical one to look at. Yeah, unless we forget, Verstappen was the one who, after the safety car, had the platform to go and win the race in the style that Ricardo did. They were both called into the pits under the safety car on lap 31 by Red Bull. They double stacked, both sent out on fresh softs. Verstappen restarted in fourth place. Ricardo restarted in sixth place. So everything was pointing towards Verstappen being the spearhead. He'd had a very slight pace advantage on Ricardo during the weekend, and there, there does seem to be a general trend that he's, he can access just that fraction more on quali- on on pure single lap pace on many weekends although I think probably last year Ricardo struggled a bit more and he has has raised his game again so let's, let's see how that goes but Verstappen simply had to go from fourth to first much much easier than going from sixth to first but he he couldn't pick his moment Christian Horner used a phrase along those lines about Ricardo picking his moment and contrasted it to Verstappen not doing that and the first one of those was when he tried to go around the outside of Lewis Hamilton at, at turn 7 very, very dirty offline there. It's a quick corner. Verstappen ran wide off the track, 
through Ricardo went. That was a race-losing mistake, even before he'd had his incident with Vettel. I don't really understand what Max thought was going to was going to happen there. Did he? Did he? Th- can only assume he just thought he had such superior grip to the Merc based on what he'd seen following him closely in the previous few corners that he was just going to be able to basically position his car and just sweep round the outside. But that, to me, just that that's part of the misjudgment, isn't it? Just not really being aware of it's not like Lewis was on 25 lap old tires and, and struggling and Verstappen could just pick him off like that um it was just it, it was just it was just too hasty that that's that's the problem and and I think if you, you've got a driver we all know how good Verstappen is when he's on his game and how good he can be if he re- refines these rough edges but that to me just shows just how good a job Ricardo did because if a if a guy who we hold as in such high esteem as Verstappen makes those judgments badly, someone who's been so good in battle when with his overtakes in the past, again, it's just another feather in uh, Ricardo's cap of how good a job he did. Yeah, it's it's a very very good good comparison point I think, and it's just I think it's just a, a little bit of impatience. It's a little bit easy to say it's the impatience of youth, but I think he just has to realise in a situation like because he'd already had a bit of a go at Hamilton. And then it's like he didn't want to just say, okay, well, that move hasn't quite worked. So I'll just back up and just wait for a few more corners to have another go. I could just about understand it if there was tyre parity. And let's say Hamilton made a little error or he'd forced Hamilton offline in the previous and corner. And it was his one opportunity. And it's like, right, this is the time you go. And then you think, well, okay, you give it a go in that scenario. But, you know, Hamilton was asked after the race about whether what he thought of that move and whether he'd any he'd ever passed anyone there or seen someone do it and he said well well not not a top driver you know he he was quite incredulous that that Verstappen had even tried it there and, and I think quite amused by the by the whole thing Verstappen is a brilliant driver I'm sure he will be world champion one day on his current trajectory I, I am slightly puzzled this year though because I think the reputation he had before for being a massive wild man I thought was a little bit overplayed I don't think he was a I don't think he was a serial mistake maker there are a few moments but this year in all three races there have been there have been things that 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 have just count against him that that are mistakes and that and that is slightly worrying. Like he's trying to force the issue; it doesn't come naturally to him. And of course, that Hamilton pass mistake was a was an error that that harmed Verstappen's own race. But the really bad one was the Vettel pass into the hairpin, where he just got it wrong. It was a, it was a, a terrible, clumsy pass. He just skittled him, didn't he? Just yeah. like, just it's one of the again, just goes to show that 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 judgment of of what grip you've got what the other car's doing how much that the other car can can react to what you're doing it it was just just every part of that Verstappen got wrong and especially when you compare it to Ricardo's pass on Hamilton there when he seemed to come from about 600 meters back on the brakes and still pulled it off yeah and 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 his pass on Bottas as well it's all it's all part of the same thing isn't it Ricardo was far more sort of opportunistic than than Verstappen in terms of the position of the car in front and, and whether he could make an overtake stick but the difference was is he committed much earlier uh, Verstappen just sort of seemed to be reacting to Vettel's position on the road and just thought oh maybe I can do it oh no I can't and panicked braked slid in slid into him turned them both round and and that just to me just sums sums up Verstappen's impatience just I don't I don't see why it would have hurt him any his race, hurt his prospects if he'd waited two more corners because there's a very good chance that he would have been... If Vettel was indeed going too deep into the penultimate corner, into that hairpin, then Verstappen would have had a better run out of it, would have been close to him through the final corner. He could have nailed him into turn one, he could have nailed him into turn six where Ricardo got Bottas. So it's just 
too impatient. He he's got his judgment wrong. He just seems to be panicking a little bit more in the pressure moments this season. We saw in Australia when he was stuck behind the Haas, driving really ragged, ran wide, and, and and that's what picked up the diffuser damage that ended up contributing to his spin later on. Is because he was driving ragged, ran wide, and bounced over a curb. So you know he's been the architect of his own downfall, arguably, in all three races this season. I, w- I just wonder if now he's paying the price for his meteoric rise. All of this stuff he would have been learning in GP3 or F2, and he would have still been refining stuff in F1, but he wouldn't be doing all of this learning on such a big stage. And we, we've seen him being impatient at almost every, everything we've seen in, of him in cars, you know, stepping straight into Formula 3, stepping out of Formula 3 to go straight to F1, not sticking around in Toro Rosso and basically forcing his way into the Red Bull senior team because he doesn't want to wait. He's he's determined to get to the top. The problem with that is that you then put massive pressure on yourself, and other people put pressure on you as well because the expectations are higher. So now this is the season we expect the most fro- most from him. He's had his full season with Red Bull. He's he asserted himself over Ricardo in many ways last year. This was when we were supposed to see Max a bit more mature, more experienced, deliver everything. And actually, in the first three Grand Prix weekends, I actually think he's been very weak as a driver. Yeah, all around he's, he has been disappointing. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to this because I think as a case study, as a right Max, look at this. Look what you did. Look what your teammate did. And I think there's probably a point where it, it might click. And in fact, the fact Verstappen was apologetic straight away means he understood, He understands he made the mistake. So I think there's a chance there that he might be able to do a little bit more, a little bit more self-scrutiny, hopefully. Let, let's make it clear how highly we rate Verstappen and how exciting we find him as a driver we want we want to see him doing what Ricardo's doing because how how mega a finish would that have been if he'd executed it to perfection and and got those small small decisions right he he's he's clearly got it in him because of the way we've seen him execute races in the past just need to see him thread it all together and then he can realize it exactly yeah and I'm sure he will but if he doesn't then there is the danger he could become an unfulfilled talent because you always have to have to learn and you have to learn quickly as well. So let, let's hope he does from from this one. Now, of course, the key moment in the race was the safety car being deployed for the Toro Rosso clash and the Red Bulls diving into the pits. And we had all this stuff with Lewis Hamilton coming over the radio saying, hang on a minute, I seem to have some fast cars behind me that are on fresher rubber. What's going on here? I don't really understand this. And of course... That did not work at all for Hamilton and Mercedes. Now, we have to, when looking at this strategy decision, set Vettel and Bottas to one side. Uh, Bottas was leading from from Vettel, who was about a second behind, and they were both too late to be called into the pits. There was no way for them for them to, for them to do it. So they had to stay out. No problem there. But Hamilton is, is the big question because he could have matched what the, what the Red Bulls did. He could have been on fresh rubber. It could have changed things completely. This was a mistake by Mercedes on strategy again. Yeah, the strategy was definitely wrong. Um, one tiny mitigating factor is that the Rebels had new softs to, to bolt on and Hamilton only had a had a used set. But as you've been at pains to point out to me, Ed, every single time I've raised this, they would have only been a few laps old. So it was very much, uh, it would still been been preferable to, to stay, sticking with what he had. And I just don't, I just don't understand the logic of well, if we'd done that, we would have dropped them behind other cars because, well, that's where they ended up. So I, I don't, I don't understand. Would how how would that have worked out worse? The problem, as Toto Wolff mentioned in in hindsight, was that that strategy wasn't even on their radar. That's how much of a misjudgment it was. So it wasn't like they looked at it and just went, "Oh, well, they're going to do this and they're going to come back through really quickly and he's going to win." 
so we're going to slip to there. But it's fine because we can maybe hold track position. They just didn't see it coming, and I think that's the big mistake there. Yeah, exactly. And their defence is that there wasn't the data there to show that the, the fresh tyres would give them such a big advantage that overtaking would be possible. Now, there is an element of truth in this in that we hadn't seen any of the front runners with a significant tyre advantage. So no, we hadn't seen much data on this. But they needed to factor in several things. Firstly, the track temperature was a lot higher on the Sunday than it had been the, the day before and even so it happened at times on the Friday. So the, the thermal deg, the rears, were suffering a little bit more. So there was a bit more an accelerated degradation rate. There's also that that whole question of, of the motivations. In the first part of the race, yeah, it was quite static, but that's the first part of the race on heavy fuel. Everyone's just sort of bedding in. It's not the time to do anything too wild. So I think assuming that there was going to be no passing based on that was a little bit of a, a bit of a mistake. And also, the advantage of fresh tyres. Well, how did Valtteri Bottas get ahead of Sebastian Vettel? He undercut him with a storming outlap. So... You know, that there was performance in, in fresh rubber. And I know the offset wasn't quite as big maybe as it could have been, but it seems to me that they need a little bit they need a little bit more sort of racing now to this. I'm all for data and analysis. I've I've got no problem with them running strategy tools. These are hugely advanced, data driven, well conceived, but you always need with data to interpret it in the correct ways and in an evolving racing situation, you you need to do that. I think Maybe they're a little bit too worried about losing any trap position at all, given they've had trap position problems in the first two races. But I just think it was a—it was just a little bit of a, a flat-footed call. I don't, it's like they were racing in two dimensions only against Ferrari, rather than in three dimensions with a with a Red Bull there. One thing that does sort of not play in their favour here, but is, is something else to consider, is what Ricardo said after the race when he admitted when they put the softs on, they weren't entirely sure that it would work. They weren't really a hundred percent convinced that they would have the they would have the pace and the longevity in the tires to sustain it over the rest of the race. So it was only when he really started to pick people off with ease and sort of was like, actually, these tires are holding up. I'm going to go for the win here. When he went out, he admitted, I thought, yeah, podium's on here. So you could argue with that that because Ricardo being in that position, obviously Verstappen in fourth, there's there is there was still something for Red Bull to throw away there to a point. But they had less to lose, so it was easier in that scenario to gamble and go, okay, well, these might not make it to the end, but we can put them on, maybe have a bit of a charge, and if they fall away, we'll nurse them to the finish and we'll still finish fifth and sixth. Whereas, obviously, when you're in that sort of that, that position with, with Hamilton and, and Raikkonen to a degree as well at Ferrari, maybe you've got that little bit more to, to sort of be cautious with. But I might be, might be being too much of an apologist here. No, it's, it's always risk versus reward. And no, Mercedes didn't make that decision for nothing there was data there were sets of parameters there was knowledge that supported what they did but I think there was there's always been cases where particularly later in races where a tyre advantage can make a big difference especially as when you have people one stopping being a little bit being a little bit worried about how quickly they can push whereas if you can push with impunity like you say on softs early on you can say, well, let's just have a little bit of a look. If we have to manage and back off, fine, we'll do that. But we can have a little bit of a look, a little bit of a, a test of the waters. And I think it comes down to a, what the what the kind of natural desire is. The drivers will always want fresh rubber because they want to be able to push, and Hamilton clearly liked that idea. You know, I, th- I think Toto Wolff said they were wrong to do that, but they did have their reasons. I think that's a fair position. I don't think it's a catastrophic error, but I think it was it was flat-footed. And I think combined with the other strategic problems they've had, you know, remember in uh, in Bahrain, it took them a little bit too long to realise Ferrari were trying to go 
too long. So you just feel, come on, be a little bit more sharp, a little bit more fleet of foot. And we should say they didn't have that much time to make the decision. Okay, they could have seen there may have been a safety car because it was a while before it came out. But they were that group of cars. It was Hamilton, Verstappen, and, and Ricardo were in a similar kind of part of the of the track. And yeah, there wasn't much time. Once well, it, was the, it, was the, it was the time between negotiating the hairpin at the penultimate corner to get into the pit lane entry, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. where that was where they were when the safety car was deployed. But the other thing you mentioned there about the strategic problems, obviously, they're um, the 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 software that the offline tool that they designed to calculate help calculate their strategy was wrong in Australia as well. We're under the virtual safety car with the gap that he needed to 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 be within Vettel to to cover him in that eventuality. So three races. Three occasions where Mercedes have arguably let a better result slip, or well, not even arguably, three races in which a result has slipped through their fingers because they've not quite judged it to perfection. And you could also argue that they'd have got away with this in re- in previous years, but the competitive situation is so much stronger now in 2018 that they're that they're not being um, they're not getting away with these mistakes. They're being exposed by them. We should give Mercedes a little bit of credit, however. We're kind of working backwards in this race, but it was a strategic move that allowed Valtteri Bottas, who ran second in the first stint, to jump Sebastian Vettel with this with this mighty undercut. He came in at the end of lap 19. It was a good in-lap, brilliant pit stop, the quickest one of the race, and then a, a really good out-lap, particularly good out-lap, with the, the fastest sector two and three of the race so far from Bottas, allowed him to jump ahead of Vettel. And I think that was quite clever from Mercedes, because I think they... They didn't do the, the traditional thing of closing in a little bit more before doing it. They didn't telegraph their intent to do it. And I think this was probably as a reaction to Ferrari covering an attempted undercut in Bahrain last week where Bottas was called in and then Vettel came in. And so they left Bottas out for a few more laps because they thought, oh, well, our undercut window's been uh, been slammed shut by Ferrari. So credit to Mercedes there for doing that. But that does make me think, well, you knew, so, you knew fresh tyres were worth something quite big there. So why didn't you know that later? It was a great call from Mercedes early on, and it was very well executed by Bottas, who you've got to kind of feel sorry for in this situation. He drove really well. He was really good, wasn't he? And it, after a week in which he'd faced a lot of criticism for for his supposed hes- hesitancy in, in Bahrain, which I, and I think he did show hesitancy in, in Bahrain, um, Wolf said that by beating Hamilton two weekends in a row in qualifying showed that, that Bottas does have the killer instinct that some people say says he lacks that, that's completely different that's like saying you're good at water skiing because you're good at chess yeah well <laughs> you like my analogy yeah it's okay um no, you're saying this is one very very good thing he's done yeah that yeah it means yeah. that that therefore everything's good absolutely um so i think i think bottas did a very very good job um i i did feel sorry for him when it was become it was becoming painfully clear that ricardo was probably going to catch him and nail him because it's like oh Ricardo has said pre-weekend that if he was Bottas a week ago, he'd have gone for the lead. And this chap was just like the worst case scenario for Bottas. The only thing you'd say is, is obviously it wasn't a fair fight for the win ultimately. He, there, there was that tire difference. and Ricardo, there, was, there was no chance, I think, of him keeping Ricardo behind him. I think that's what made Ricardo's move so spectacular because Bottas could have defended that more aggressively. You, you wouldn't necessarily think that you need to go tight to the inside line to defend from someone down there. But when you've got Ricardo behind you, that is what you need to do. You need to cover every eventuality. Um, it, so I think, as I think as you put it, Ed, if you're going to be hypercritical of Bottas, you could say maybe he could have kept the lead for another half a lap. But apart from that, like his performance was was superb from the beginning, including mugging off Kimi at the start because Kimi was a bit too tentative with Vettel. Yeah, he did really well. That's second race in a row. He's got Kimi for second place at the start of the race. And also when Ferrari left Raikkonen out for too long on his first stop just to park him in Mercedes's way, 
Bottas was very, very quick at, at getting past Raikkonen to retake the lead there with that move around oh, the outside. Oh, it was a great move, one. wasn't it? Yeah. It got properly squeezed. But, the, but again, two corners before that, we saw a bit of that Bottas hesitancy that we didn't see from from Ricardo. Bottas is sort of in that weird middle ground between Ricardo and Verstappen at the at the final hair, at the final hairpin, penultimate corner, because he sort of went, he closed right up. Vettel was coming in behind him and he sort of half went for it, didn't he? And it was like, oh, I don't know, that's not really going to work. And then you sort of think, oh, he's got Vettel on him now. This is He's a bit screwed. And then two corners later, just pulls this really audacious move around the outside and they got really, really close together, super, super close to contact. Bottas just toughed it out, got past Kimi and then rebuffed an attack from Vettel into the next corner as well because Vettel was immediately past his teammate and putting Bottas under pressure down into the turn six right-hander. Yeah, it was it was very well very well done by Bottas at a very fine weekend's performance. Actually, it would have merited a victory. It's not to say Ricardo didn't because he did, but it, it was a a really strong performance. And it's good to see because we knew there was pressure on him coming into the season. He's got to get himself a new Mercedes deal. And Australia had the crashing qualifying, and then there wasn't much he could do in the race. And you sort of thought, oh, this this could be actually. And in fact, I remember um, Toto Wolff after the race in Australia saying, "Well, we you know the important thing is it doesn't affect him psychologically." And I think there's clear evidence it, it hasn't because he's been able to show this strong form in the, in the last two races and yeah it's just a bit of a shame that that he, he hasn't come away for with a win from him but Mercedes will look at his performance and say yeah he's doing exactly what we what we need him to do and you know but for that safety car we might be saying well what a brilliantly managed managed run to the flag what a brilliant undercut execution he's done perfect race and another weekend in which Mercedes wasn't really at max capacity and Bottas got more out of the car than Hamilton did actually um, I was really curious to know a bit more about this so I asked uh, Toto on Saturday after qualifying why it is that when the car's not quite at its ultimate peak Bottas can get more out of it than Lewis and it was almost like Toto had never properly considered it before because he was sort of like oh yeah no that is true and he mentioned Monaco last year where Hamilton really struggled and uh, and Bottas was a whisker away from the front row, qualified third and I think Toto called it an, an exceptional performance. It, that, that was one of the qualifying laps of last year. Yeah, it was it was incredible. So the problem is that when the car's exactly where it needs to be and there is this sort of like theoretical maximum that it can achieve, you would back Hamilton to get there over Bottas. Bottas maybe fall a little bit short. At the moment, the way the first three races of the season are going, Mercedes are going to have more of those difficult weekends than they are dominant weekends. And that could play in Bottas' favour because he does seem to be very, very good at reacting better to the car when it's not offering maximum grip. And Hamilton seems to need that feel more than Bottas does. Yeah, Bottas is very, very good in low-grip conditions. He He's always mighty on green tracks, really good at feeling what the grip levels are and, and making the car work so yeah when things aren't going so well he's, he's really able to to hustle it and make it work whereas I was watching trackside on Saturday morning down at turn 11 and 12 so that's the the slow left into the long right onto the onto the back straight and you could see that Hamilton wasn't happy you know on the turn and he couldn't quite turn as decisive as he wanted to and then a few times mid-corner the, the rear was getting away from him just at the point where he was wanting to get the car set up for the for the right hand and you could just see he wasn't comfortable he said the car feel was turned upside down from from Friday to Saturday, and then in the race he just seemed a little bit, a little bit defeated by uh, Lewis Hamilton standards, unfortunately. So yeah, all credit to Bottas. He's uh, he's after Australia. He's uh, he's had a good couple of races, which is which is really really important for him. And we should just mention the the Ferrari strategy thing with leaving Raikkonen out there. I I must confess, I've I've got no problem with whatever you want to call them, team orders, team strategy. Sometimes you can use a driver as a spoiler, but that seemed to me a tremendous waste of a car, really, to just get in the way for 
a very small amount of time. Personally, I'd rather keep the car in the fight. As it happened, a lot of that time loss was eliminated by the safety car, so it did, it didn't pan out as badly as it as it should have done for Raikkonen. But for me, it just seemed it seemed a rather casual way to to squander fifty percent of your effort in a race, especially as his pace had been quite good in the first stint. He was yeah, not, yeah. he wasn't necessarily in that in that that lead fight, and he'd certainly not to the same degree as Verstappen, who in the second stint was sort of edging closer, wasn't he, to the lead two before the safety car. But but Raikkonen's pace was holding up quite well, and even the you know the longer he stayed out there on these these old these old tires, he was actually making them work. His pace wasn't like falling away. It's just he had no answer to those people on on, on fresher rubber, and, and they were catching him. Maybe like, I think it was like two seconds a lap by 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 the time Raikkonen's pace was at its worst. It, it was another weekend in which Raikkonen actually drove quite well. He had quite a lot of pace throughout the weekend. Didn't ha- have quite enough pace where it mattered. He got mugged off by Vettel in the last literally the last seconds of qualifying. Um, but he's at the very least Raikkonen is now performing as the number two that Ferrari needs and he's been expected to be for the last three seasons it's just yeah we we often see a lot of suggestions from Kimi fans that Ferrari are putting him out as this sort of sacrificial lamb and actually the Chinese Grand Prix was the first time that I've felt like that and I, I felt some sympathy for him there there have been a few cases where they've, where they've done some slightly strange things but I think it's valid to have a kind of second driver as a bullet in the gun, as it were, but you have to use it correctly, and I, I don't think they did on that occasion, especially when you bear in mind what happened to Vettel as he was limping home after the after the damage from the the Verstappen incident. In fact, slipped back to eighth place behind Fernando Alonso. Raikkonen is a driver who frustrates me a lot, and I'm quite happy to be critical of him when I don't feel he's delivering. But he's delivering a good level at the moment. He doesn't really deserve to be to be wasted like that. It's up to Ferrari; they can do that if they want. But I think it's quite important to use your number two driver if you want to call him that in the best way possible. And that's not necessarily the most sensible way of doing it. You mentioned that Vettel fell fell back to behind Fernando Alonso, but there was another car in front of both of them, wasn't there? Who we should probably give uh, due credit to in this in this podcast. Nico Hulkenberg. Nico Hulkenberg. Who's, he's um, having a really good season. He's driving extremely well to the point where um, he's actually, sooner rather than later, he's going to start putting quite a bit of pressure on his teammate Carlos Sainz Jr., isn't he? Yeah, well, Hulkenberg is a really good driver. I've, I've always rated him. He's very, very, very quick. I think you can criticise him for at times in the Pirelli era. He's not always bought into the need to tyre manage correctly. There have been times in the, also in the the V6 Turbo Hybrid era where he hasn't really shown his best. But I think since we had the car changes last year, he seems to have kind of regained that sharpness. Now that ultimately, I've I've never been a believer that you can say to drivers say about drivers, well, that formula didn't suit them, so and now it's back again, so it's all great. I mean that that is a weakness of Hulkenberg that he didn't able to show how good he was consistently in that period. But I think now he is able to do it very very quick in qualifying. And he just delivers in the races. Like you say, Carlos Sainz Jr. has been perfectly fine this season. He's had a de- decent season. He struggled a little bit with a, with a bit of the instability in the car. And maybe that's explained why he's he's been giving away kind of a couple of tenths more often than not to, to Hulkenberg. But yeah, it will pile pile the pressure on because there's a little bit of a battle there to be the the kind of lead Renault driver. And there's there's a long-term plan there that if the Renault works team gets to the front and becomes a title contender. It's down to those drivers to prove that they're the right people to be there. And science has got the added dimension of the fact that with Ricardo out of contract, he's also got to keep up the performance level to prove to Red Bull that he's the guy they should put in. So yeah, there is there is pressure on those drivers. It's a nice little subplot. I do think it's a really, really strong driver lineup because 
Science Junior is a, is a very, very classy and very good Grand Prix driver. So for Hulkenberg to have that, that little step on him, it's not huge, but that little step is, is very impressive. Hulkenberg knows that this era of Formula One car is very well suited to him. He's able to, to, to get the most out of it. It, it, it very much fits well with, with how he drives. And one thing that I found um, particularly interesting was what he said uh, after Saturday, because I think he scored his sixth, seventh place start in a row. And there was a joke made in his media session that he's got asked. Someone asked him if he has a subscription to Seventh Place, and Nico laughed and said, "Yes." He said, um, "I don't know if that sounds good, but it sounds consistent." And the thing is, F1 2018 has got this ferocious midfield fight, and you keep seeing Haas pop up at the top of it in fifth or sixth, and then Toro Rosso in Bahrain. But the consistent factor in that midfield fight has been Hulkenberg in Q3 every time getting onto the fourth row of the grid, driving flawlessly in the races, basically picking up the absolute maximum that's on offer in any situation. He is driving superbly at the moment, and he rightly acknowledges that he's in arguably the best form of his career right now. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And you'd expect that, wouldn't you? Because as the experience grows, so the driver should get refined. He's not. He's still not that old. He is an interesting case, and I think it's very, very good that he's able to show week in week out he can he can deliver this this level of performance and I think that you know, what we really want to see from him is a podium he's got this he's got this horrendous record of having the most Grand Prix starts how many starts how many starts 138 starts Oof. now he has got a pole position Brazil 2010 which does, is an yeah. outstanding pole position and people tend to misremember that and say it was just because of timing in the wet but actually he set two laps good enough for pole that day that was a that was a classy performance so Hulkenberg has more world championships to his name than he does podiums in formula one well i think you'll find it's a world cup it is a world the cup, world cup right. of motorsport a1gp of course i was i was applying poetic license to my comment but what he has had is yes a lot of these kind of minor placings i'm just looking back yeah he's had 17 sixth places 15 seventh places 15 eighth places it, places, show, it shows know, those, what he can do doesn't it? it shows that he does get the most out of the mediocre machinery he's had at his disposal well he's never really had a podium car yes Sergio Perez had a couple of podiums there together at Force India but that the kind of nature of Perez's skill set who's a he's a very very good driver Perez he's fantastic at managing races particularly when the tire degradation is a problem and those tended to be the ones where Force India had this opportunity and so often it was him who was ahead but there have been some really strong performances some of those sort of fifth sixth places have been really 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 classy and if you think of it as a class B which realistically it is then he is the the standout well I was going to say he is the standout driver in Class B, but actually you do have to bring Fernando Alonso into that as well, who who somehow is still sixth in the championship. The, the McLaren's not great in qualifying, but he races it well. And to be fair to the team, they execute the races pretty well as well. Speaking of Alonso and McLaren and people getting the most out of their opportunities, they're still underperforming on Saturdays, but it's really struggling to fault the job that they're doing on, on, on Sundays. Another race in which Alonso, you joked earlier, Ed, when we were talking before recording this, the word relentless was invented for Alonso, wasn't it? Yeah, he just he just always keeps going. And he's very, very good at, at dragging the maximum out, out of the car. And there was this point in the race where he was talking about the strategy. And it's not just a, a small strategy conversation. He's he's on top of it and thinking, well, yeah, we have to watch this. We have to watch that. I can extend my stint, but we've got to be careful about that. And the command he's got of what's going on is hugely impressive. I know nothing with Fernando Alonso should really surprise or impress. But it, it shows he's, he's still properly engaged it's going to be very important what mclaren delivers to the car in terms of upgrades for the spanish grand prix 
next month. That's that's going to be the key there in, in showing how far forward McLaren could go because the car has been disappointing in terms of performance. But as you pointed out, their knack for for executing races well is is standing them in good stead. And to their credit, they are fourth in the constructors championship currently and in fact speaking of mclaren the next mclaren driver kevin magnuson got the got the final point it's good to see him delivering some consistently uh strong performances He's a little bit unfortunate as both has drivers uh didn't get the best uh break out of the out of the safety car he could have been a little bit higher up without that but he, he did a good job to to hang on against the uh against the force indias for that for that final point well the proof of that is uh, where his teammate ended up which was i believe 17th uh, he ended up 17th, yeah, oh, he, he'd, he'd slipped back to 12th behind the two Force Indias and then he thought, well, might as well make a stop for some fresh tyres and, and see what happens. But Magnussen proved that you could react to that situation well and hang on, dig in there and, and, and get a result. And he, he does, if nothing else, he, that's that's the reason he deserves that final point. No, exactly, and uh, it's only one point, which isn't much for Haas given the, uh, the competitiveness of the car, but it's important for them to score consistently and one point it's uh, it's going to be valuable to them so uh, you yeah, mentioned just... consistency there it's really good to see Magnussen finally delivering on what we saw of him in Renault 3.5 because ever since he's been in F1 he's been a peaky driver hasn't he one really good result goes missing for a little while can be frustrating at times but he's absolutely brilliant on his day and it, and, and it is really good to, to see him sort of unlocking that new level um, over the course of the first three races. Yeah, it's nice to see that happening. And a little bit like the Ricardo Verstappen comparison in other forms, the fact that Grosjean's still being a little bit up and down and struggling to string together the full weekends, good as Grosjean can be when everything's right, which is not often enough. I should that, stress that, that Ed Straw made that comment with what looked like really gritted teeth because he's a massive Grosjean fan and he's, he gets hurt more than anyone else when Grosjean goes into this weird, inconsistent mental spiral. It's a real shame because th- there's, there's tremendous ability there. And if the Grosjean of the second half of 2013 with Renault was absolutely stunningly good and it's just a shame that he can't access that consistently and apparently if he's going to be able to do that consistently he'd have uh, he'd have probably done it by now but uh but yeah no all credit to, to Magnussen for for what he's doing well the Formula One circus will move on to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku in a, a week and a half's time a very very different circuit configuration there and, and one that produced uh a pretty, a pretty dramatic race last year, which, of course, was won by Daniel Ricciardo. We'll have all the coverage of that. Myself and Scott will be out there, among others. So check out autosport.com for all the news and updates from the world of Formula 1 and the rest of motorsport, and also Autosport magazine out Thursday, which will have in-depth coverage of the Chinese Grand Prix and a great victory for Daniel Ricciardo. Also check out sister titles F1 Racing and motorsport.com. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When I deployed, I didn't realize that even the air I was breathing was dangerous. Since coming home, I've watched friends get sick and struggle to get the support they deserve. But now, that's finally changing. We're eligible for new VA health care and benefits based on when and where we served. Even though I feel okay, I'm going to apply. For my sake and for my family. Learn more and apply today. Visit va.gov PACT. Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.